You are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show featuring two friends who've been in the same book club for almost 20 years. I'm Carrie, and even though we've been doing this show for a while, like four and a half years, I often think to myself, oh my word, we could not be any more different. I'm a curmudgeonly cat lover, borderline antisocial, probably not even borderline, just totally, and terrified when Amy says she has an idea because that usually spells trouble. I'm the opposite. I'm Amy. I want to be your new best friend, especially if you're a book lover. And even maybe if you aren't, I'm also a dog collector, a Diet Coke addict, and I treat a good thrift store like it's a national treasure. So despite these differences, we both love wine, cheese, and talking to each other, and sometimes a special guest about books. Each week, we chat about what we're reading, as well as other bookish topics like... Authors in the news, recent book to film adaptations, weird stuff we've Googled while reading, and our TBR count. We're glad you're here. So, this week we are doing a book rec episode, and I came up with the title. You did. It's a free for fall. You want to explain what that is? At some point, we were talking about doing fall books, books set in fall. You are a seasonal reader. I am not a seasonal reader. So, I think you had. A few, quite a few, and I was like, I got nothing. I have nothing that's set in fall. So we knew that we couldn't do that. So then we had the idea that we were going to talk about a lot of different books that hit on topics related to fall that happened in November. And so instead of free for all, I was like, free for fall. There we go. So So this week, you're going to get five books from each of us that highlight a different topic for November. Some of them might be like, you know, national so-and-so month. Some of them might be holidays. You just have to wait and see. That's right. So Carrie, it's been a while since we've done a book rec episode. So I'm kind of It's been a while since you've been in town. I know. I have been (laughs) in and out of town a lot, but I have to say that I am burnt out of being away. Mm. I am ready to be home. You hit your wall. I've hit my wall. I'm ready to be home. I've been thinking, I love being in my house so much. (laughs) I just don't want to go anywhere. Now, come spring, I will want to go somewhere. Yeah. Probably even before that, but. I've been gone. Yeah, like January. I give you until like January 4th. And you'll be like, here, I'm sick of my family. (laughs) We spent Christmas with each other. I'm sick of my house. There's too much crap in here. I missed my dogs. I mean, I missed my family too, but I missed my dogs. (laughs) And I posted on Instagram the other day about a book I was currently reading called Res Dog. And I put on social media a picture of each of my dogs with the book. And so when I say in the opener that I'm a dog collector, that's why. <laughs> I have three dogs and my daughter today, who is a volunteer at our local animal shelter, is trying to talk me into fostering another dog. Oh, well, that'll fail. Because they are like over capacity. Um... They have been for like a year. I'm feeling the heartstrings tug. I'm like, well, if you can talk your father into it, I will do it. <laughs> so we'll see. I might have it not permanently, but I might have. Yeah, that's one. what you said about the last one you fostered. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but this is this is for sure. I cannot have a fourth dog. Okay. Well, so, time will tell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anything going on with you? <sighs> Same old. I was. Uh, no, nothing. Just work. Busy, busy. 
Well, that's all I got. Well, first things first, we are going to be at the Louisville Book Festival. We're going to be on a panel. That book festival is uh, in a few days when this airs. It'll be November 10th and 11th. It's going to be at the Kentucky International Convention Center. They have all kinds of authors and all kinds of genres who will be there doing panels, meeting with readers, signing books. And we'll be on a panel on Saturday at five o'clock about podcasting, about podcasting and books. And we're going to be on that panel with three other podcasters. We're going to be there with Mick Sullivan, who uh, is the creator of the award-winning children's podcast, The Past and the Curious. It's a history podcast for kids. And from that podcast, he has produced two books Mm -hmm. for children. And then we are going to be joined by Evie Clare, who's the producer of the podcast called Great Podversations, which is part of the Kentucky Author Forum. And they have pairings of speakers and authors. Uh, They've had Jane Smiley. They've had Barbara Kingsolver. They've had... John Irving, and they pair them up with um, another a journalist or or writer. Those are super interesting. And then the final one is Tyler Bell, who produces a, a storytelling podcast called The West Side Fairy Tales. And it is a horror podcast, and it has won multiple awards, including Best Storyteller and a Storytelling Production, Under the Radar podcast that you should listen to by Podcast Magazine. So you'll get to hear about all different kinds of book or story-related podcasts. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Yeah. Another thing that's coming up is when this episode comes out, if you're listening to it in the morning at noon, Eastern Standard Time, plug into Instagram because I will be on an Instagram live with Jennifer Caloyeras from Books Are My People podcast. This will be our second month. We're going to, we say we're going to do it every month where we talk about our favorite book from the previous month. So she and I will talk about our favorite books from October. So that should be fun. Okay. Yeah. What else? Well, I want to hear about your word of the year, Carrie. Well, I want to see if you can. I saw this. It popped up in the news. Collins Dictionary, I guess, every year does a word of the year. So I'm just curious to see if you can guess what the word of the year is, according to Collins Dictionary. Don't look at your phone. Uh, I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm not going to look at my phone. That's hard. Let me think. I'm thinking it's like... I'm drawing a blank, but I'm thinking it's like a... something that is impacting our lives right now. Well, there's all kinds of I know, things. I know. That's not a very... I mean, if I tell you, yeah. Uh, so, okay, how about this? A technology that is impacting our lives. AI. Yes. A- so is it yes. just AI? It's AI. Yes, oh, okay. that is the word of the year. And I saw that and I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of interesting that, you know, and I was like, well, that's true because I have been getting into the I mean you know always late to the party but using AI detectors for my oh. students work and um, even using like I got onto Google has an AI uh, tool that you can use to if you're having trouble thinking of the topic to write about then you can you know Google or use AI tools that can help you come up with ideas so, and you and you've tried it? Yeah. Was it helpful? Uh I mean, 
no, but <laughs> but I never used it before. So maybe, you know, how sometimes there's user error. So maybe I was too specific or not specific enough. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. it wasn't helpful the one time that I tried to use it. But okay. I don't know. I wasn't very successful well, the first time I had sex either. So, you know. You're the second teacher that I've heard of in the last probably two or three weeks talk about Seeing things that, that may, seem like, like they might not yes. be high school student generated. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you, you hear about teachers having to deal with this, but. Well, and, and I think the thing is, like, kids have always. You kids can, knows, Right, or, right. Yeah. And a lot of times you can tell where it'll sound like a high schooler, like it'll read like a high schooler, and then smack dab in the middle it'll suddenly sound like it came from encyclopedia britannica or whatever and so with that you know it's kind of like obvious in that way like it sounds like a high schooler and now it doesn't but like with this it wasn't it wasn't like that it was very general and it was really well written in general, in the way that I was like, this doesn't sound like a high schooler, and it's not specific enough. I don't know. It just, it was too general. And I thought, I don't, I don't think the student wrote this. It, it sounded to me like something like, and, and I say this, I mean, I, I know people who have PhDs and, and they're lovely people, but I do think something happens to people when they do a PhD. I think some of them lose their ability to speak like a normal person. <laughs> yeah. You know, they get into like this realm above us and they talk in this, P- like, I just think of it as PhD lingo that nobody understands. And it sounded like that, you know, like where they were, j- it was like gobbledygook that didn't mean anything and and that was kind of the sense that i got from this and so it as it turned out that's what it was oh because i had to email the parent and go hey yeah so anyway yeah yeah i think it's better rather than being like no don't play video games don't play ai don't do this don't do that it's better to teach them how they can use it in an effective way mm-hmm. and sort of make them intelligent about it as opposed to trying to ban them from it because that never the works the cat's already out of the bag right, it's already right. out there i mean right so at least you know if you're going to use it like if you need to use it to help okay but 15% of your paper could be ai instead of 56% of your paper, like, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. But, well, and using it to get ideas on what yeah. to write about or maybe how to write about right. something is not a terrible thing. Well, or even, I know a lot of students struggle with how to start something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like once they can get that first sentence done, then they can kind of take off. So if they use AI to get that first sentence to get them going, I, I don't that's know. Not that, the end that's of the world. not the end of the world. But using ai to do your whole entire paper well okay again in my little you know speck of the world not a problem but it will be a problem at college it will be a problem in the workplace because you'll get fired yeah so yeah well speaking of school issues yeah there's some bookish news i thought we should talk about now this is a couple weeks old but maybe other people haven't heard about it it's worth talking about scholastic books who you know does the scholastic book fairs which i loved as a kid come away with a book and a smelly eraser (laughs) (laughs) or a poster with a kitten hanging right right. you know hang in there 
there. there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my kids loved them when mm. they were in school. They are facing a challenge because of all of these new laws in 30 states that want to prohibit certain kinds of diverse books to be available in schools. And I think that they were sort of <laughs> uh, flummoxed as to what they could do and still have their book sales. Mm -hmm. They came up with this idea to let schools decide whether they wanted to have a full book sale uh, like they would normally do, or whether they wanted to opt out of the diverse books. Now, they had a lot of backlash from that, from teachers and other organizations, I'm sure from some parents. And so they have walked that back. And so they're going to look for other alternatives. But, you know, there's two sides to it. I mean, I don't think, it, well, I think there's no side to book banning. I, do, I don't think you should be banning books. Mm -hmm. But I think you should have a wide variety of right, books, right? right? But I can see their dilemma because in these 30 states, maybe having a book sale with their regular inventory might get a principal fired, could get a librarian fired, could get a, mm -hmm. a teacher fired. And is it better to have the opportunity to have a, a book fair? I mean, there's some kids that maybe that's the only way that they'll ever get, you know, if you live in a rural community. You don't have a bookstore nearby. That might be the only way you ever a kid would ever get a book. So in some of those states where they wouldn't invite Scholastic Book in, is that a good thing not to invite them in at all or at least have them in and have a narrower range of books? I don't want them to have a narrower range of books, but I can understand their thinking about that. They, they want to make it safe for their educators that they're working with. Of course, here's the thing about a lot of these book banning issues. Did you see the article that there is one parent responsible? Yes. There are like 11 parents. I think that was the number. 11 parents who have been the instigators mm -hmm. behind a lot of these book bans mm -hmm. all over the country. 11 people. And I'm looking at this is an article from September. It's an NPR article. One parent is responsible for a book ban in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. One parent's yeah. complaint removed a book from the curriculum. And, you know, I think the thing is, I think it's time for parents who feel strongly, and you know, against book banning need to start speaking up. Whether mm -hmm. that's a phone call, an email, whatever it is. Start speaking up. Giving an awful lot of power to one to, noisy to pe very person. few people. Yeah. To very few people. And the thing is, a lot of these people don't even have kids at the school. They don't have kids at the school. They don't, they've never read the book. They don't know anything about it. And so, again, I'm like, okay, if you have kids at the school, if you have read the book, if you have legitimate concerns, that is one thing. But a lot of these people don't. They're just sort of instigators and and they're they're sort of beating people up <laughs> with whatever their particular issue is with the book and i kind of feel like it's time to to start speaking out well and i was looking at some of the books that were in this group of books that they called their i don't mm -hmm. remember what the exact term they use for these books but like the diverse package right, or whatever right. it was books 
you know, about the Supreme Court Justice, Katanjay Jackson Brown. Mm -hmm. It was a book about John Lewis. Mm -hmm. How are those? Because they're <laughs> because they're smart, successful black people. And for some, there is a segment of our population that that is the most threatening thing they can possibly imagine. Just think, how is that? How are we banning those books? I mean, I read it in articles, but every time I read it, I'm like astounded I know. all I know. over again. But I was listening to a podcast where they talked about this. Someone was suggesting that Scholastic sue them instead of kowtowing to them, mm -hmm. sue them back. Yeah. And that maybe they'd be like these groups would be less likely right. to do these things. Right. They can join that lobby with PIN America. Right. But I think the thing is, I think those people, it's a small group, but they're noisy. Mm. And if nobody else is saying anything, I think it, it skews your view. You know, you think, oh, well, everybody thinks that way. Everybody feels that way. Because the people who think this is stupid, they don't say anything. They don't get involved. You know, what is it? The squeaky wheel gets the grease? Yeah. And I and I do think, you know, it's it's kind of like they say about social media. You know, you, you start to think, oh, this is how everybody thinks and sometimes we do that with people who think like us we think this is how everybody thinks well that's not the case and so i think for these companies i, I mean i don't know i don't know how many people feel that way but you know this the articles say there's not that many people who are the ones that are sort of fomenting this whole book banning yeah. issue across the country so well i i just think it's kind of an interesting topic we will link to both of those Articles, the one about the small number of people being behind most of the book bans, and an article about the Scholastic Book Company and their challenges to figure out what to do, how to have their book fairs without going bankrupt in these states. Right. Now, let's talk about what we're reading. Mm -hmm. You want me to go first? I want you to go first. Okay. So uh, this is a book, I think Sam Miller, our favorite bookseller from Carmichael's, mentioned this. Um, but I had heard of this author. So the book is We All Want Impossible Things yeah, yeah, by yeah. Catherine Newman. So I read her first book a long time ago. I think it came out in like, I don't know, 2005. It was called Waiting for Birdie, A Year of Frantic Tedium, Neurotic Angst, and the Wild Magic of Growing a Family. Um, I had read that, but I decided to listen to the audiobook of We All Want Impossible Things, which is a novel. It is the story of Edie. She's a woman in her 40s who is dying of ovarian cancer. And it's also about her longtime friend and now hospice caretaker, Ash. They've been friends for like over 40 years. And Edie's dying. I mean, like she's in hospice. So there's no getting around that. So despite being the premise of this sounds like it's going to be just gut-wrenching and a, a cry fest, it's, a, it's actually... A a funny book. Mm. It has moments of sadness, but it's still very much about life and, you know, just kind of the day to day, the, all the stupid conversations that we have from day to day and the, and the things that we have to do, just, we have to eat, we have to clean stuff up, you know? And I suspect that if you're with somebody who's been sick for a while and they're, they're now dying, I expect that that's how it is. You know, it's it's real life. It's weird and, and humor inserts itself even during the most devastating times. So it was inspired by Newman's own friend who died in 2015. 
And the thing I liked about it is that it is about the friendship. It is about the friend dying, but it's mostly about Ash's attempts to be a mom to her teenage and young adult daughters. It's about how she and her husband split up, but they're very good friends. And so it's about that relationship. It's about her using sex to try to assuage her sadness. And she's having sex with a lot of people, including the hospice doctor. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, I mean, now I will say I'm not a crier. Like, I don't read books and like... (laughs) So it didn't make me cry or anything like that. I I suspect that if you're really tender, then it might. But I just found it really kind of uplifting. I I like books like that that you think are going to be a real downer. Yeah, but it wasn't. Yeah, Yeah. it wasn't. So anyway, I I recommend it. It's called We All Want Impossible Things by Catherine Newman. All right. What have you finished up recently? I recently read a book that's a love story, but it's an unconventional love story. It's called Love Deleted by Paul Indigo. And our story involves a happily married middle-aged couple who has a college-aged son, and they live in London. Their names are Cooper and Jethro. And Cooper is a genius-level sound engineer, and Jethro is a musician whose band has kind of been on the cusp of making it big for years. And suddenly now they get their big break. So he's leaving on this European tour, and he's going to be gone for several months. But when the book opens, Cooper is frantically trying to leave her home. She's driving too fast. She's driving erratically. And she's on her way to see her sister. And then she's in this car crash. And Jethro had left earlier the same day for his tour. But Cooper has seen something that she shouldn't have seen before she gets in her car. And now she doesn't want to talk to Jethro. So even after she heals Mm. from her accident, she is distraught. We don't find out what it is she sees for quite a while, but she doesn't want to eat. She doesn't want to sleep. She even considers ending her life. And then she hears about a company that has developed a technology to edit memories. They have used this procedure to help former soldiers get relief from PTSD. But Cooper convinces them that she is the perfect candidate to try this procedure to cure a broken heart. Now, if you've seen the movie Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind in the early 2000s, it had Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet in it, you may think that this plot sounds a little familiar. In that movie, each goes through a procedure to slowly forget each other after a bad breakup. But in this book, it goes in a different direction. So in this procedure, Cooper doesn't forget about Jethro. She simply doesn't feel anything for him. And it's impossible for her to feel anything for him in the future because her brain has been edited such that that feeling is severed, which I think is even a little bit more interesting than... And worse. Well, it depends, right? It's sort of thought-provoking. I mean, they're a couple. Like, are they married? They're, They're married. Yep. And she feels nothing for him. Well, after she has the procedure, yes. That's what I mean. That would be hard. That'd be like, what's the point? So after going through the procedure, the consequences to their lives are like watching a science experiment. Mm. And the ending is different than I imagined. So I feel like this was a really cool genre-bending book. It's part love story, part sci-fi. Although I do think that there is some reality to this technology. I mean, I think that is something that 
people are working on, but I don't think it's right, right. You know, completely developed yet. Anyway, I enjoyed this book a lot. Paul Indigo, he's an indie author, so he published this on his own. Uh, so if it sounds interesting to you, you can buy it in paperback through bookshop.org, maybe through your local bookstore. I'm not exactly sure. But you can also buy it through Amazon, and it's a pretty cheap download. And so, again, the name of that is Love Deleted by Paul Indigo. I thought this was well written, and it was really interesting and thought-provoking. Yeah. What would you do? Would If you ha- had a horrible memory, would you want to cut that off not necessarily even about love but maybe just like a really bad experience and then feel nothing or does the feeling something uh lead to making you a a well-rounded person or you know what i'm saying like your experiences shape you i think well yeah and i don't want people mucking around in my brain that never goes well (laughs) the other thing is like you know what is it they say that that you know they talk about a marriage like the problem is that if if your wife's mad at you that's better than her not caring mm-hmm. because if she doesn't care then it's like whoa then it's really bad and mm-hmm. so to me like if you have no feeling then you just don't care like i don't care what happens to you so that to me is kind of worse yeah okay carrie i think it's time we go we come back we start again <laughs> We'll talk about our free for fall. All right, we are back with our free for fall book discussion. So, Amy, you <laughs> you love a category. I do. You love, I love categories. Categories. I, if I have too much to choose from. Well, so November is non fiction month month. and Uh that was too wide open for you and so then i said well if you if i could pick five books that would have been okay but just picking one random nonfiction book, like I need to have some, I have need parameters. to have more well, parameters. Well, at some point, I, I think I was saying, well, we could do memoirs. And you're like, well, that's too specific. It, isn't it all nonfiction? I'm like, oh, my gosh. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> do, let's do what you want to do. I don't care. <laughs> I'm like, there's too many rules. There's too many arbitrary Amy prescribed rules. Like, let's do Here's what you want. Here's the thing. My personality, if I have too many choices, my brain, like shuts down okay like i need to have i need to have some guardrails to help me focus you do not need that same kind of thing no and uh, that's another way we're different yeah that's okay (laughs) okay our first category is a book set in in, autumn because when i realized that I had no books set in autumn. You decided to go find one? Well, I was like, well, maybe I need to start adding autumn books to my list. Okay. (laughs) And so I happened to find an audiobook. Has autumn in the title. Well, do tell. Okay. So the, the book I listened to is An Event in Autumn. That made it easy for you. So I had never read this author, Henning Menkel. So I had never heard of him, but... Now, I know who he is. He's a Swedish writer who has this whole, like, series of detective stories with this character called Kurt Wallander. So, apparently, he is a crime lover's, one of one of their favorite writers among people in the know of crime detective stories. So, it, this is a novella. It's like a three to four hour long audiobook. And so, Wallander checks out a family home. He's wanting to buy a home 
And his colleague is trying to sell a house. And so Volander goes to check it out. And while he's there, he discovers a skeletal hand sticking out of a garden bed. And so then, of course, you know, he's got to find out who does this hand belong to? How did it get there? What happened? The The problem, though, is that the person who owned this house is in his 90s. So his colleague is sort of selling it for a family member. So then it's like having to go back in history and figure out what was the situation to determine what was this foul play or was this you know just somebody who was buried badly uh, well or by the dog right i mean you know like who knows like if it happened during world war ii maybe who knows you know the audiobook was great to listen to i really like the character of kurt volander and i think this will be an author that that i'm at least open to reading in the future so anyway an event in autumn by henning mankel well, you know, the Scandinavians love their murder mysteries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So what's your autumn pick? My autumn pick is called Deer Season by Aaron Flanagan. And this is a mystery novel. It's set in 1985 in a small farming community in Nebraska. And it's the opening weekend of deer season, which is usually, which is, I say usually in the fall. I think it's always in the fall. Mm-hmm. And a teenage girl goes missing. And many in the community suspect an intellectually challenged young man who has blood in the bed of his back of his truck. And this is written from the point of view of the young man's adoptive mother who has felt like an outsider in the town. And as things get more sinister, the young man's family has to confront if he's really capable of violence. So there's so much I loved about this book. It gave me some Fargo vibes. Like if you've ever seen that movie or that series, it's uh, it's almost like uh, gritty Midwest a little bit. The character development was very rich. The relationships were complicated. And Aaron really makes you feel that small town setting and how claustrophobic it can be. Erin herself is from the Midwest, grew up in a town like this, so it feels super authentic. And I apparently am not the only one who adored it. This one was an Edgar Award uh, winner for Best First Novel by the Mystery Writers of America for 2022. And Erin has been a guest on our show in episode 143, if you want to go back and look at it. And she was here to talk about, she started writing thrillers. And her thrillers and her mysteries are very, very different from one, one another. I am more of a mystery reader than a thriller reader. So this book is probably my favorite of hers. I think it's definitely worth your time this fall. But if you're a thriller reader, check out her thrillers too. Mm-hmm. But this one is my favorite. Cool. So that's Dear Season by Erin Flanagan. Very okay, good. next up. It's Native American Heritage Month in November. Yep. I wanted to do a whole episode on this, but we're just going to keep it to one. Yeah. So what you got? This is a book I read a long time ago, like in the late 1990s, mid to late 1990s, when I was getting my um, my MAT to be a teacher. And so I took a children's literature class and discovered this book. The book is called Seas Behind Trees by Michael Doris. Um, I did not know he wrote children's books. Mm-hmm. No. So he was married to Louise Erdrich. Oh, yeah. I did not know that. Yes. He was married to her. He was, was Native American. He committed suicide in 1997. Oh, I read one adult novel by him. So it, this is the story of a Native American boy named Walnut who's visually impaired, which makes it impossible for him to use a bow and arrow the way his young friends do. 
So despite his vision issue, he's able to use his other sensory gifts, which earns him the adult name Seas Behind Trees. So it's the story of of his growing up and the emotions that go along with that from, you know, gaining confidence to developing humility. You know, I don't know. Maybe because it was sort of like attached to my MAT program, but this book has always just kind of stuck with me all these years. So I recommend it. Seas Behind Trees by Michael Doris. I like that because it's probably one most people haven't heard of. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I have one that's, again, sort of a mystery. (laughs) I'm heavy on the mysteries this episode. It's called Winter Counts by David Heska Wanbley Wyden. That's a that's a wow, long that's name. That's a lot. That's a long name to say. Uh, this is also a debut novel, and it's set on the Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota. And our main character, Virgil Wounded Horse, is a local enforcer. So what that means is that people come to him when they feel like the white justice system isn't working for those who live on the reservation. And that is not uncommon because in eight, the 1885 Major Crimes Act. The federal government only prosecutes crimes that deal with murder. But things like rape, sexual assault, armed robbery, things like that are often shoved under the rug and not really prosecuted. So Virgil is hired out to dole out vigilante justice. People hire him to do that. When his nephew ends up on heroin, Virgil wants to find out who is bringing it into the community. So this one is a crime thriller. It's a little more gritty and brutal. I see similarities between this and S.A. Cosby's books. Mm-hmm. It has, I think, a similar feel to them. Um, you know, there's like fast cars and some shoot 'em up scenes and and things like that. So, <laughs> so if you like that, you're so thing, gritty. Shoot 'em up. Shoot 'em up. <laughs> fast cars. Um, so if you like that kind of thing, then this will be right up your alley. The title, Winter Counts, refers to a calendar that the Lakotas used to represent oral history. So each picture on the calendar represents a marker for one year. The author is a member of the Lakota, and this book also won numerous awards and was named a Publishers Weekly Best Book of 2020. Wow. So again, the name of that book is Winter Counts by David Heska Wanbley Wyden. All right, so we've got three more categories. Yeah. Which one you want to do next? Diwali. Okay. Okay, so for those who don't know, Diwali is a Hindu festival of lights. This year it's on November 12th, and it is the most important holiday of the year in India. And it celebrates the triumph of light over darkness and the human ability to overcome. And I thought it would be fun for us to come up with a book by an Indian American or Indian author that might represent some of these things. So what you got? I I think I've talked about this book at some point. It's called When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. It's a a memoir. He actually died while he was writing it. So he was a newly minted physician. He was a neurosurgeon. So he had studied for years and years And he was diagnosed with lung cancer in his 30s. And this book is about how his terminal diagnosis impacted him. He is a regular person or was a regular person, but he was also a person who spent his entire life with the goal of helping other people deal with illness and looming death. 
So kind of like the Catherine Newman book that I mentioned, although that's a novel, despite being a potentially devastating book, a just devastatingly sad book, it's really about hope. And we all survive until the moment we take our last breath. And there's something kind of hopeful about that when you were talking about, you know, light. And mm-hmm. I, I really, really like this book and recommend it to others. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. When you were talking about the book by Catherine Newman mm-hmm. and said, even though it sounds like it would be incredibly sad and dark, but yet it's hopeful, mm-hmm. the book I'm going to talk about right now is a book that's mm-hmm. like that. Okay. So the name of the book is A People's History of Heaven by Mathangi Sabramian. And I think I talked about this like maybe in like in our first season of the show, but it is such a good book. And I just, I don't hear about it very much. And I just think it's underappreciated. But this book was really a breath of fresh air. It's like nothing I've read recently. It's set in modern day India and heaven is the name of one of the slums of Bangalore. So that's sort of an interesting dichotomy just in the name, right? Heaven and a slum that they Mm -hmm. don't feel like they go together, right? The story is of the women of heaven. There's five teenage girls and their aunties and ajis, their mothers and grandmothers. And this is a female-centered book. The main conflict in the story is that the city of Bangalore wants to bulldoze the slum in order to make room for new shopping centers and highways. But as there isn't enough affordable housing there, there's nowhere for heaven's inhabitants to go. So the the women work to stop the destruction of their home. The other storyline revolves around the girl's schoolmaster, a single Indian woman who tries to secure a future beyond heaven for the girls by way of higher education. So one interesting aspect of the book is that the teenage girls are very diverse. There is a queer girl, a transgender girl, a deaf girl, and one who has a major learning disability, most likely dyslexia. And that adds an interesting element to the story. And another thing I loved is that the tone is hopeful, despite the despair one thinks of when imagining slums. The families don't see themselves as hopeless and are offended when others Hmm. view them that way. This one has also won numerous awards, including a Lambda Literary Award for Lesbian Fiction. And I really think more people should pick this one up. Cool. And again, I think this one is hopeful, just Uh like, you know, what we're talking with uh, Diwali, The Human Ability to Overcome. And the name of that book, again, is A People's History of Heaven by Mathangi Sabramian. One thing I want to say about Diwali is that when my kids were in elementary school, there were lots of Indian American families. And they asked the school if it would be okay if they did a little Diwali exhibit like the school put up a christmas tree at christmas or you know different things so they said can we do a little diwali display and so they made a mandala Mm. design on the floor in the entry hall with different colors of sand oh it was really cool those are so intricate and they're very intricate and pretty and then i also saw on our neighborhood's facebook page which is oftentimes a real drag to read because mm-hmm. a lot of your neighbors you don't really want to know their inner thoughts. But <laughs> one <laughs> they of, let their they let their crazy come out. Yeah, they let their crazy come out. But I did see just like an hour ago where uh, one of our Indian neighbors who lives on a couple streets over posted say, "I just want to give everybody a heads up. It's going to be Diwali soon, and on such and such date, we're going to be let lighting fireworks mm. for Diwali. So just so you know, because ah. people go nuts, so right? Think, right? You know." It's gunshots, so right? It's, you know, right. whatever. But anyway, Diwali's kind of a that's cool, fun, fun, fun holiday. All right, so we've covered fall, yeah, autumn, 
uh, Native American. Yeah. Diwali. Yeah. Now we have to have something in honor of, we were talking about, there's two different holidays, Day of the Dead mm-hmm. and also All Souls Day. Which happened November 2nd. Right. For both of them. And right? so uh, those are about, you know, the dearly departed. Mm-hmm. So we decided, books about ghosts. Let's do books about ghosts. Especially if you're still feeling a little bit in the spooky season, you know. Mine's not really spooky. Mine's more about a dead soul. I guess it could be a ghost. It depends on how you look at it. We'll talk about it in a minute. Which What's yours? So mine is called The Orphan of Cemetery Hill by Hester Fox. And I have no idea how I found this book. But it is set in Boston in the 1840s. And it's about a young girl who can see and communicate with the recently deceased. So she takes care of this local uh, graveyard with her adopted father. When uh, she was a child, she was left orphaned when her parents died. And she was exploited by her aunt who forced her to hold seances. So she's taking care of the cemetery, but then grave robberies begin to happen. And she ends up getting sucked into this plot by some unscrupulous, powerful men who may kill or, like her aunt, use her powers to cover their misdeeds or to continue their role as resurrection men. So resurrection men, I did go down a little bit of a Google uh, rabbit hole, but resurrection men were, that's what they call them, these grave robbers who Mm. would... Who would dig up bodies and then sell them to uh, medical schools? Medical schools. So, mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, I I felt like this was a good book. It wasn't really scary, but it was supernatural. If you like that kind of thing, check it out. So, historical fiction with a little bit of supernatural in there. The Orphan of Cemetery Hill by Hester Fox. I think the Day of the Dead and All Souls Day are not necessarily. Like, we associate them maybe with Halloween mm-hmm. and a scarier thing, but they don't have to be that. Like, I definitely no, don't they're think... they're more, like, remembrance. Right. Mm-hmm. So this book is is more in that vein, I think. It is a book that I've been dying to talk about, and I'm so glad that we do these book recommendation episodes, because it gives me a chance to talk about books that I haven't found a reason to talk about <laughs> in other ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was such a good book. It's called The Forgetting Time by Sharon Guskin. And this is a book about death, but more about what happens after death. Specifically, is there reincarnation? So Jamie is a single mother in this story, and she must decide what to do when her four-year-old son Noah says that he has lived a life before and he wants his other mother. And what would you do? So Noah's preschool teacher calls and says Noah has been talking about guns and being held underwater. And Noah also has a tendency to know trivia that no four-year-old would really know. And so the teacher contacts the state and they order that Noah have a psychiatric evaluation. Then comes in a psychology professor who has spent his career investigating children who claim to have past lives. And then the adventure begins. This was a compulsively readable book about a very complex topic, one none of us can really answer, I guess. But what happens when we die? Do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe in reincarnation, heaven and hell? This was an amazing book, and I'm so glad I finally had a reason to talk (laughs) about it and recommend it. So, you know, it's funny because I think of myself as a very rational person, Mm -hmm. but 
my husband, who I've been married to for almost 30 years, <laughs> just, I don't know, maybe last year, I told him that I thought ghosts were a possibility. Like that, <laughs> I didn't say I thought they were definitely ghosts. Right. I said, I'm open to the fact that there could be ghosts. And he thought I had completely lost my mind. Yeah, my husband's kind of the same way. He- I'm like, I'm just not ruling out the possibility. We right. don't know what happens after after death. I don't know. It's a lot to think about. I really like the book. The Forgetting Time by Sharon Guskin. I like that one. We read that one for book club. We did. A long time ago. Yep. Okay, this last one is a fun one. (laughs) Last category. Maybe you have a man in your life that has done the No Shave November. That's how my husband grew his beard. Is it really? Yes, he did No Shave November. A long time ago. And I was like, whoa, I like your face better. You like it better with the beard? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I like him with a beard. I think there's some men who look better with a beard. Johnny Depp, I think, looks better with a beard. Yeah, I mean, I I thought my husband was good looking before, but there's something about that beard. And I mean, I was the type of person who would, would, prior to this, if you had said, would you ever kiss somebody with a beard? I'd be like, gross. Well, you know. But he'll talk about, well, maybe I should shave. And both me and my daughter are like, no, 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 no. Just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. We like it. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Well, so, did you know what why that started? Do you know? No. What, no shave. No. No, it is a cancer awareness tool. Really? Yeah. But anyway. Interesting. So we each came up with a book that dealt somehow with facial hair. <laughs> well, Believe it or not. Books don't actually deal with facial hair. Well, no, but <laughs> we had we had to think outside the box for yes. this. But we were we were but up we for thought the it challenge. Was fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So my book is called Where the World Ends by Geraldine McCarring. This was a book, I don't know how I found it, but I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's for like middle grade readers, but an adult could totally enjoy it. So it, the novel takes place off the coast of St. Kilda in 1727. So St. Kilda is off the coast of Scotland. They have, they're called sea stacks. And so they're basically just, they're not islands. They're just like a big thing of rock that's almost vertical rock. Um, and they're called sea stacks. So boys and a couple of adult male chaperones are taken by boat out to one of these sea stacks because the birds, all these birds, nest on it. And so they they kill the birds and collect eggs. And they do this for a day or a weekend, very short period of time. Well, the boat never comes back to get them. And so they are stranded and therefore not shaving <laughs> these men and these boys who who could shave. They're not shaving because they are stuck on this island. So they have these experiences and you're wondering are they going to survive? Is the boat going to come back? Why isn't the why didn't the boat come back? What happened? So you're left wondering all these things. I can't tell you what happens because you need to read the book. But it's it's really a, a great book. It's Again, it's Where the World Ends by Geraldine McCauley. They can't shave. Therefore. Okay. They're wild. They're wild men now. They're wild men. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, come on. No shave November. Yep. That works. Okay. All okay. right. What about you? What did you win? Well, <laughs> The, the, the history of razor blades. No, is that what you did? No, no, but it does have some history involved. Uh, okay. So what is one of the most iconic collections of facial hair on a person in American history, but our 16th president, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln? Perfect for this prompt. 
So this book, is a stretch too. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. He's got is it all about his beard? No, but he has a big long beard. That's what you know. That's one of the memorable things about looking at him, don't you think? No, because I actually don't think of him as having a beard. I think of him as not having a beard. Really? Yeah, I think of him as just wearing the top hat and having that really long face. I thought he had a beard. That's <laughs> rude if he doesn't have a beard. Uh, yes. No, he has a beard. Okay. <laughs> the book I want to talk about is called These Honored Dead by Jonathan F. Putnam. This is a historical mystery series written by a Lincoln scholar, Jonathan Putnam, where Lincoln is a young lawyer who teams up with a friend, Joshua Speed, in a, a small town in Illinois to solve the case of a young orphaned girl who is murdered. So this is greatly researched. So all the details about Lincoln and about the time period in the 1800s, I think it's like maybe the 1840s, are rich and satisfying. The story is told from Joshua Speed's point of view. Now, is he one of the Speeds that's connected to the Louisville Speed? Yes, he's the wealthy son of a plantation owner in Kentucky who comes to Illinois to start a life on his own. So if you are a Kentuckian, Joshua Speed was part of the family that owned the Farmington Plantation, I believe. Mm -hmm. And a wealthy family and eventually some of their descendants uh, founded the art museum, the speed art museum here. Is that also the speed school at university? of I think so. Uh, Okay. Their name is on a lot of things around here. Okay. Joshua speed meets a quirky young lawyer named Lincoln, and they end up sharing a room in a boarding house to save money. And we really get the details of how unique a person Lincoln was. And there's also a good amount of courtroom drama in this. Hmm. Uh, So if that's your jam, then you should definitely check this out. This is the first in the series, and there are four books uh, to date. So if you like history, you're into presidents, mysteries, give this a try. Again, this is These Honored Dead by Jonathan F. Putnam. It's a Lincoln Speed mystery. Cool. And gosh darn it, Abraham Lincoln has an iconic beard. He has a beard. All right. That's it. That's all we got. But we have one more book recommendation from a fellow book lover who's going to tell us about their most recent five-star read. Hi, I'm Anne from Philadelphia. And my recent five-star read was The Change by Kirsten Miller, which focused on three very different women who come together to solve the mystery surrounding a body that they actually ended up finding together in the woods of a young girl that no one seems to know. This was unexpectedly one of my favorite books of 2023, and it was specifically because of how Kirsten writes about the strength and resilience of women The three characters, Harriet, Nessa, and Joe, are every single one of them is just a boss lady. They own businesses, they are wives, they're mothers, they're divorcees, and it's just a phenomenal portrait of how women can grow and remain relevant and be a part of their communities and friendships well into womanhood. And the magical realism in this book was chef's kiss it was phenomenal to read it's not a genre i usually read and i loved every second of it i 
tell everyone this is a manifesto on womanhood. Like, it's not just a book. And yeah, it was a total five-star read for me from almost the beginning um, all the way through the end. You can find my reviews at another with two N's underscore bookstagram on Instagram. We're back. So, Carrie, hmm. what have you recently added to your TBR? All right. I do want to mention a book that I'm very interested in reading. Uh, sometimes, like, sometimes I can't remember where I heard about a book. I'm just like, well, I don't know. It's, it just made it on there somehow. But this is a book that I heard about because I, I read a news article it was just published. Uh, so here's uh, one of the articles, titles. Robert Sapolsky doesn't believe in free will, but feel free to disagree. So he wrote a book called Determined, A Science of Life Without Free Will. He's a neurobiologist, and his argument is that we do not have free will. We think we have free will, but everything we do is based on neural processes that we're not even aware of that sort of make us more likely to act in a certain way. That we think that we're making a choice, but we're not actually making a choice because all of these things that have happened to us make the choice for us. So my inability to have moderation in things that I like is not necessarily your fault. My fault. Yes. It's just that my brain doesn't work like that. Yes. Yes. That we can't be considered morally responsible for our actions. Okay. And so I just found this super fascinating because even though I, I like the idea that we have free will... I'm open to the possibility that we don't. So it's, it's a science book, but also sounds like it's kind of a philosophy book. Yeah, he's, he is. Well, so he was a primatologist and then he got involved in neuroscience. He says that biology, hormones, childhood and life circumstances coalesce to produce actions that we merely feel were ours to choose. Hmm. You know, I mean, he, you know, he admits, he's like, this is provocative. I admit it. There's going to be people who hate this idea, but here you go. And so I think that is super fascinating. That sound interesting. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of interested in the book. Okay. So again, it's called Determined, A Science of Life Without Free Will by Robert M. Sapolsky. And I'll have a link to that article on on our well, show notes. Well, it's funny because the one that I that's on my TBR that I'm going to talk about also kind of has to do with free will. Really? A little bit. It is a book that I heard about from the Ologies podcast mm. with Allie Ward. So if you haven't ever heard of this podcast, it's science and social science related, but each episode she talks about a different ology. Biology. Well, Archaeology. Yes, but it's usually very specific. Mm. Like she did one during October on pomology, which is about apples. I mean, it's usually like super specific, right? So for Halloween, the most recent episode was about nature's zombies. And fungi. Yes, but also like there are wasps that Mm. will put 
like babies into worms mm. then will control their brain there's bacteria well like rabies fungus, that sort of makes you into a rabies, zombie toxoplasmosis mm. Things in nature that can make other animals zombie-like. So I think if you're somebody who maybe wants to read sort of a spooky Halloween book, but it's not all that into fiction, maybe, this would be a great nonfiction book for you. It's called Plight of the Living Dead, What Real-Life Zombies Reveal About Our World and Ourselves by Matt Simon. Okay, now I have 662 (laughs) books on my list. That sounds good. It's it's. Uh, I don't, someone called it a pop science book. So I think it's very readable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's not yeah. like textbook. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, next fall. Next fall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. With the other 1,000, whatever, whatever number books you have. Good luck to that book getting read. I'm going to end with one thing I'm loving right now, Carrie. Okay. I am loving that it's getting cold. I know so many people who are like, no, summer's gone. I don't want to turn on the furnace. I am totally a cozy weather person. Mm-hmm. I totally embrace the huga, the H-Y-G-G-E. Mm-hmm. I like it when it's a little bit cold and I have an excuse not to go outside and I can put on my fuzzy socks and sit with my coffee with my nice fuzzy blanket and have a dog or two <laughs> sitting on my lap, reading a book. I'm all about it. So I'm loving that it's getting cold. I, I will say, you know, normally I bring the I bring the bad mood. I bring the, the downer vibe to this. But I will say my fall and winter wardrobe. Now, not that I'm a good dresser. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying I actually have clothes for fall and winter. Mm. I hate summer clothes. I don't know that I've bought new summer clothes. I don't even know how long it's been. I mean, I, I hate dressing for summer. I don't buy dresses. Mm. I don't buy sandals. It's just. you don't like toes. I don't like toes. It's just, it's awful. I admit that. I wish I did like summer. I wish I liked to dress for summer. I just don't care. Because it doesn't matter because it's going to get covered in sweat. So why put that much effort into summer dressing? It's just going to end up gross. So I do like jeans. I like hoodies. I like sweaters. I'm even thinking of buying myself some boots. Whoa. Yeah, I know. You know, know how many pairs of boots I have? I I don't even know what number to guess. Five. Probably eight. Oh my gosh. Different kinds, different heights, different colors for different reasons. Like I have like snow boots and then I have cute boots and then I've got rain boots. <laughs> okay. Like how many total pairs of shoes do you think you have? Too many. Like Give me a number here. And then after we're done recording, I want to see your shoe. Really? Yes, I do, actually. Okay. But so seriously, how many shoes do you think you have? 40, maybe? I have to count. Let me see. I can, you know what? I can count on one hand. Yeah. I have the ones I'm wearing. I have my tennis shoes. Four. I told you I thought I had a shoe problem. I have six. Point. I just bought another pair Which today. is probably, you know, really like, I'm like, yeah, two of those could go and I'd be all right. <laughs> I just bought another pair today. Oh, my gosh. They're little flat tennis shoes that have little dogs on them. I couldn't resist. So, But you don't have feet problems. like No, not really. Anyway, free for fall is over. Now I'm going to go check out Amy's shoes. I want to see this this shoe closet and these new boots. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Happy reading. 
For show notes for any episode, go to our website at perksofbeingabooklover.com. We're also on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod and on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover. To send us a message, I love messages, go to our website and click the contact button. Amy loves to make friends, and the best way to be friends with Amy is to leave us a great review on your favorite podcast platform, and then send Amy an email and let her know you did it. She will be thrilled and will email you back. I will not contact you, but I will appreciate the podcast love. (laughs) Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org.